RTHK News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Richard Pine. Tonight's headlines. A court in Shenzhen has sentenced 10 Hong Kong residents to jail terms of between seven months and three years for illegally entering mainland waters. Meanwhile, two minors who were detained at the same time have been returned to Hong Kong, where they're expected to face protest-related charges. And mandatory COVID-19 testing orders are issued for residents of around 40 buildings. Ten Hong Kong residents accused of illegally crossing into mainland waters have been jailed between seven months and three years each by a Shenzhen court. No charges were filed against two other suspects in the case who are minors and they have now been returned to Hong Kong. Vicky Wong reports. Two days after their trial at the Yantian District People's Court, the ten Hong Kongers learned of their fate. Tang Kai Yin, who was said to be the leader of the group, was given a three-year jail term and fined 20,000 yuan. Quinn Moon, the only woman among the detainees, was sentenced to two years in prison and fined 15,000 yuan for what the court said was her co-leading role in the case. Both were accused of organising the illegal border crossing. Eight other detainees each received seven-month jail terms and were fined 10,000 yuan. The verdicts were posted on the website of the court, which said the sentencing hearing was attended by National People's Congress deputies from both Hong Hong Kong and Shenzhen, representatives from the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference, members of the media, as well as relatives of the defendants. The court said it decided on the punishments after taking into account the roles of the various defendants, the extent and consequences of their wrongdoing, and also their remorse. Their families in Hong Kong have called on authorities to say where they'll serve their sentences and whether they'll be able to visit their loved ones. They've asked how many meetings they could make a month and how long those meetings could last and whether they'd be allowed to bring them clothes. The Security Bureau says the families can contact the Immigration Department, which will relay their, their requests for visits to the mainland authorities. Meanwhile, the two minors who were detained at the same time who have been handed over to the Hong Kong police. Violet Wong has more. Mainland prosecutors decided not to charge teenagers Huang Lam Fook and Liu Ziman after they admitted their offences. However, they are still expected to face protest-related charges in the SAR after they complete two weeks of quarantine. Chang Lai Ki is acting chief superintendent of the Commercial Crime Bureau. We will apply to the court to remand these two persons in jail custody and it is subject to the decision of the court. Pro-democracy district councillor Lester Shum says one of the pair's families was able to meet their son briefly after he'd been returned to Hong Kong. He told the press that the family told him that their son looked sluggish and refused to speak about what had happened to him over the past four months while he was in custody. Property giant Hang Lung says it could not complete its $2.6 billion acquisition of the U.S. consulate staff compound on Shuson Hill Road as scheduled today. As Joanne Wong reports, the deal is said to involve diplomatic matters. In a statement to the local stock exchange, Hanglong Property said it was informed by the land registry last week that the compound was not a commercial entity or an ordinary real estate property. According to Hanglong, the SAR administration said it had been told by the central government that the U.S. consulate must make a written application to Beijing at least 60 days before the transaction. 
But the developer said the U.S. side contested the requirement, saying it has complied with the relevant obligations. According to the stock exchange announcement, both the U.S. and Hanglong agreed that the transaction and its completion involve foreign affairs and diplomatic matters. Hanglong said it is evaluating the deal and taking legal advice on possible actions, including extending the time for completion. A U.S. consulate spokesman told RTHK that both sides need additional time to complete the administrative processes to close the transaction. The sale of the luxury property at 37 Shusen Hill Road was announced in September, with the U.S. consulate saying it was a business decision and unrelated to the icy ties between Beijing and Washington. President Xi Jinping and European leaders have approved in principle a major investment deal that gives European companies greater access to the mainland market and helps redress what Europe sees as unbalanced economic ties. President Xi was quoted in state media as saying the deal shows China's determination and confidence in opening up and will help stimulate the recovery of the global economy while promoting economic globalization and free trade. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is coming up to five minutes past 11. Residents of more than 40 more buildings around town now face mandatory COVID testing. Meanwhile, there are fears of an outbreak at Buddhist Hospital in Lok Fu after three people from the same ward came down with the virus. Here's Altus Wong. The hospital authority said the latest case at the hospital involved an 83-year-old male patient who tested preliminary positive for the virus. A nurse and another patient were infected earlier. The authority's chief manager, Dr Sarah Ho, said it's not clear yet if there was virus transmission in the ward. For this particular patient, he did not stay in the same cubicle as this uh, former confirmed uh, patient. And uh, as uh, this case is just a preliminary uh, diagnosed, so I need uh, further um, contact information and a possible source of infection uh, to be further investigated. Hong Kong has reported 54 new cases of coronavirus, 47 of them locally acquired. 13 of the cases are untraceable, and there are also more than 50 preliminary positive cases. Meanwhile, the Centre for Health Protection said mandatory testing orders will be carried out at more than 40 buildings around the territory after at least two unlinked cases were reported from each of the blocks. A medical expert advising the government has urged people not to hold gatherings at home over the New Year period, even though the daily number of new coronavirus cases has started to slowly go down. Violet Wong has more. Professor David Ho told an RTHK radio program that while the number of infections had remained high for a while in this fourth wave, it's now on a downward trend, but only slowly. The respiratory medicine professor from Chinese University explained that there had been a lot of gatherings and the virus had reached deep into the community. Now, the most important thing is don't hold big gatherings, he said, adding that he noticed there were a lot of family get-togethers over Christmas. Professor Ho wants that the impact of these gatherings on case numbers has yet to show. Another respiratory disease expert, Dr. Long Chi Chu, accused the government of making what he called a basic mistake in tackling the coronavirus over the past year. Speaking on another radio program, Dr. Long said the authorities were wrong to relax their social distancing measures as soon as the pandemic situation showed a slight improvement. But he said administrations around the world have been learning from their mistakes. Both experts agreed with the government's decision to now require mandatory coronavirus testing for residents of any buildings where there are two or more unlinked COVID-19 cases within a fortnight. 
Taiwan will suspend arrivals of all foreigners without residence permits from Friday. That's after the island confirmed its first case of a new coronavirus variant discovered in Britain. The patient is in stable condition after arriving on Sunday from Britain and confirmed to have been infected. A coronavirus vaccine being developed by the Chinese company Sinopharm has been found to be 79% effective in phase three trials. That's lower than the BioNTech and Moderna vaccines, which are already being used, but higher than that being developed by Oxford University. Five Chinese vaccines are in development as Beijing races to develop its own product, but this is the first time data on their efficacy has been released. The British medical regulator has approved the coronavirus vaccine developed by Oxford University and AstraZeneca for emergency use. The British Health Secretary Matt Hancock said the mass rollout of the Oxford jab across the UK would begin next week, accelerating their immunisation programme. This is a really significant moment in the fight against this pandemic because the vaccine is the way out. And so it's good news for everybody that the vaccine's not just been approved, but also that they find that the immunity to the disease comes after around a, a fortnight after the first dose, which means that we can really accelerate the number of people who, who get protected. The Oxford vaccine will also be a vital tool in the global fight against the virus, as it will be supplied at cost price to developing countries. Dr June Rain is chief executive of the British regulator, the MHRA. We all know that we are facing one of the biggest threats to health not only of the UK public, but everyone around the world. And as the UK regulator, we take this very seriously indeed. These are difficult times for so many of us, but vaccines such as this one will have the potential to save many lives and will see us come through. Britain's House of Commons has voted in favour of legislation implementing Prime Minister Boris Johnson's post-Brexit trade deal with the European Union. The Commons backed the Prime Minister with a 521-73 to 73 vote. Mr Johnson had told Parliament his deal was an opportunity to, in his words, forge a fantastic new relationship with our European neighbours. The opposition Labour leader, Sir Keir Starmer, described the deal as thin with many flaws, but said it was better than no deal. It matters that Britain has negotiated a treaty with the EU Commission and the 27 member states. And it matters ultimately that the UK has not gone down the blind alley of no deal. It means that our future relationship starts on the basis of agreement, not acrimony. Back locally, five members of the Law Society's governing body have demanded that mainland media stop what they describe as unfounded attacks on Hong Kong's judiciary. The group took exception to comments made about the case involving media tycoon Jimmy Lai. Damon Pang has more. Mark Daly, Michelle Choi, David Wong, Kenneth Lam and Janet Pang singled out an editorial by the People's Daily last weekend that said the Apple Daily founder and national security suspect should be tried on the mainland. The editorial claimed that the High Court's decision to grant Jimmy Lai bail had drastically hurt the SAR's rule of law and described him as an extremely dangerous person. In their statements, the five lawyers warned that the editorial could be seen as putting pressure on the judiciary ahead of an appeal hearing over the bail decision and could also prejudice Mr Lai's right to a fair trial. They called for an end 
to unfounded attacks against the judiciary by state media and for Justice Secretary Theresa Chang to defend the judiciary against such unwarranted actions. The solicitors also expressed concern over whether a fair trial could be guaranteed if the mainland takes over any national security cases under Article 55 of the new law. They argue that the national security law lacks adequate protections to safeguard an accused's fundamental human rights and lacks legal certainty, noting that the group of Hong Kongers arrested at sea last summer were denied the right to an open trial on the mainland and to appoint lawyers of their choice. The Court of Final Appeal is expected to hear a government challenge tomorrow over the High Court's decision to release Mr Lai on bail and put him under house arrest. A conservation expert has proposed turning a historic underground reservoir in Sham Shui Po into a public space, saying authorities could draw inspiration from Sydney's Paddington Reservoir Gardens. The government says it wants to preserve the structure after putting the brakes on plans to demolish it. Here's Candace Wong. The award-winning, heritage-listed Paddington Reservoir Gardens were converted from an ancient reservoir with much of the ruins, including bricks, timber and iron fixtures, carefully preserved. The director of the Division of Architectural Conservation Programs at the University of Hong Kong, Li Ho-Yin, said the government should consider doing something similar by, for example, keeping the iconic Romanesque arches at the Bishop Hill site in Sham Shui Po and turning it into a park. He also called on the authorities to find out if there are other historic structures on Bishop Hill, adding that conservation experts should be sent to check out all pre-war structures in future. Sham Shui Po District Councillor Calvin Ho told RTHK that it is also the general consensus of nearby residents to save the site. Originally, the residents nearby, they built some recreational amenities by themselves on the Bishop Hill, just on the top of the reservoir. So the will of the residents is now want to conserve this place and also make it to public so that everyone can enjoy it and the residents nearby can still do sports or do some recreational activities in the reservoir. Demolition work on the site was halted this week following the discovery of Roman-style arches there. The government is now looking at how to preserve the century-old structure, with Chief Executive Carrie Lam saying on her Facebook page that she hopes the area can be turned into a place for people to enjoy and have fun. Sports and the Milwaukee Bucks have set an NBA record for three-pointers made in a game. They dropped 29 on the Miami Heat and went on to win 144-97, the biggest road win in club history. Chris Middleton had four threes on his way to 25 points. Dante DiVincenzo went five for six from deep to finish with 17 points. Reigning MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo had just nine points and was the only Bucks player not to score from downtown. New Zealand's cricketers have won the first test against Pakistan by 101 runs against after a tense finish in Mount Mongan, Monganui. Chasing 372 for a victory, Pakistan were bowled out for 271 with less than five overs to spare to keep alive New Zealand's hopes of reaching next year's World Test Championship finals. A reminder of our top stories tonight. A court in Shenzhen has sentenced 10 Hong Kong residents to jail terms of between seven months and three years for illegally entering mainland waters. Meanwhile, two minors who were detained at the same time have been returned to Hong Kong, where they're expected to face protest-related charges. And mandatory COVID-19 testing orders are issued for residents of around 40 buildings. The news from RTHK. RTHK, Radio 3.
It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's News Wrap programme. We now continue with our series of features looking back at this extraordinary year. Previously, we looked at the devastating impact that COVID-19 has had on our lives and the economy, but the pandemic and the social distancing measures the government imposed in response to it also helped put an end to the often violent anti-government protests that ravaged Hong Kong last year. Some critics believe this was no accident, but it wasn't the only way the authorities both here and in Beijing found to rein in different groups of people who may be too unruly for their liking. Our reporter Damon Pang takes a closer look. If 2019 was a year that saw the government losing control of Hong Kong, 2020 was all about getting it back. Initially, it looked like the violence would continue. The protest will keep going on. Once they listen to us, then we will stop the violence. But the violence waned, partly due to rising concerns over a mysterious outbreak of pneumonia in Wuhan that would evolve into the coronavirus pandemic. And by the time the government imposed a public gathering ban in March, the unrest had all but ceased. Then, with order restored, the authorities moved to shut down those they blame for inflaming the unrest. Beijing has stripped four pan-democrats of their LegCo seats. The remaining 15 pan-democrats have resigned in protest. The expulsions, unlike previous times, did not go through the courts. China's top legislative authority, the National People's Congress Standing Committee, did it directly by passing a resolution. No one, they decreed, found to have promoted Hong Kong independence or sought foreign interference in local affairs can serve as lawmakers. Chief Executive Carrie Lam explained the rationale. We could not allow members of the Legislative Council who have been judged in accordance with the law that they could not fulfill the requirement and the prerequisites for serving on the Legislative Council to continue to operate in the Council. The decision was unprecedented and bypassed the mechanisms explicitly set out in a basic law for removing legislators. And that, according to legal scholar Johannes Chan, has troubling implications for the rule of law in Hong Kong. It seems the NPCSC is about the law. They can just adopt any decision without any regard of the procedure in the basic law. The then convener of the Pan-Democrats, Wu Chi-Wai, struck a similar chord when he spoke to reporters after the rest of his camp quit en masse in protest. The decision made by the central government simply say that all the separation of power will be taken away. All the power will be centralized in the chief executive. Of course, chief executive is the puppet of the central government. Some political analysts say that disqualification by decree also throws into question the integrity of the democratic process. Chinese University's Ma Ngoc, for one, says that disqualifications make elections here meaningless. It opens the door for Beijing to disqualify the legislators as well. Beijing can set whatever red line. They can easily set political standards. Even before the disqualifications, the pro-democracy camp's bid to win a majority in LegCo had been dealt a major setback after the government decided to scrap the election originally scheduled for September and pushed it back by at least a whole year. Carrie Lam insisted this was wholly due to the coronavirus. The decision to postpone has nothing to do with politics, has nothing to do with the likely outcome of these elections. It is purely on the basis of protecting the health of the Hong Kong people. 
But some observers noted that the pandemic would have had the momentum had the elections went ahead, even with 12 would-be candidates disqualified from running. Election officials had ruled that they could not honour their pledge of allegiance to the SAR and the basic law. And with the legislature under control, the chief executive was not shy in explicitly laying out some of her other targets to be reined in in the wake of last year's unrest, teachers and civil servants. She spoke during an interview with Phoenix TV. In the next year or two, I will try my best to restore order in many areas. It's not just education. Let's say someone said we should be more stringent in managing civil servants. The Civil Service Bureau answered the call, beginning a new requirement in July for all new recruits to sign a declaration pledging allegiance to the SAR and upholding the basic law. Political appointees then took an oath earlier this month to the same effect, paving the way for all 180,000 strong civil service to follow in the coming weeks. Those who don't comply, the government warns, face dismissal, though outright prosecution may be too much. For the education sector, restoring order came in the form of punishment and reform. A primary school teacher was struck off in October for alleged professional misconduct. He's accused of imposing his ideas of Hong Kong independence on students. A second teacher was also deregistered later for teaching his kids bad history, namely that the Opium War was fought because the British had wanted to stop Chinese people from using the drug. Education Minister Kevin Young denied the unprecedented moves were made to silence teachers. There's nothing, there's not so ever anything about any chilling effect. We don't believe in that. We are improving the quality of our teachers. But the professional teachers union disagreed, saying this led to self-censorship among teachers. Then officials announced there would be a major overhaul of the liberal studies curriculum, an initiative pioneered by former CE Tong Chi Hua, but later blamed by pro-government forces for radicalizing the city's youth. The subject, aimed at encouraging critical thinking, will get a new curriculum, a new grading system, and even a different name. But Carrie Lam says there is a reason why education has become, in her view, so politicized. It's the media. She says it's the negative coverage of the mainland, incorrect understanding of historical events, and the smearing of the government and law enforcement agencies that have infiltrated the education system. Still, the CE promised not to suppress press freedom, though she stressed that journalists must, of course, abide by the law. And it appears that taking up information on license plates for journalistic purposes may now be illegal. RTHK investigative journalist Bao Choi is being prosecuted for allegedly violating a traffic law over such a search that she conducted as research for a documentary on the Yunlong mob attacks. Journalist Association head Chris Young says this is clearly part of what he called the government's full-scale assaults on the press. They are now exhausting every possible way to suppress the press, to make it difficult, if not impossible, for reporters to do their job. Further concern about media freedom 
came when one of the city's most respected news outlets, iCable, sacked some of its most experienced staff after parachuting in new managers. This prompted dozens of journalists to resign in protest, including its entire China team, saying the layoffs had effectively destroyed the renowned newsroom. Journalists, teachers and civil servants aside, some observers are growing increasingly worried that Beijing is pushing for changes that may affect the vaunted independence of the judiciary in Hong Kong. The deputy head of Beijing's Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office, Zhang Xiaoming, called for judicial reform here, backing the views of retired Judge Henry Litton, who had alleged that local courts have distorted the basic law and had lost Beijing's trust. Mr Zhang did not give specifics, but DAB lawmaker and lawyer Holden Chow has been more explicit in what he would like to see a new sentencing council to decide whether punishments for various crimes are appropriate. Make sure that when they deliver their verdict, no bias, they would have sufficient ability to deliver a right verdict. The judiciary has expressed reservations about this idea, and it's increasingly had to push back against criticism from both sides of the political divide, alleging either pro-government or pro-protester bias in different cases. A number of investigations into various complaints have substantiated no allegations of bias so far, but more complaints will inevitably continue, especially with so many protest-related cases still yet to be resolved. If 2019 was a year when people wondered if they would ever see an end to the violent protests, perhaps this year the question is, Will we see the return of Hong Kong's proud tradition of peaceful protest? And when? This year's June 4th candlelight vigil, held like it has been every year since 1989, happened in spite of a police ban. Some of the organizers' leaders have now been charged, and there has not been a major legal protest since COVID took hold. So will there be a vigil next year? That depends not just on the coronavirus situation, but also on what kind of political landscape will emerge from the changes the authorities are imposing on a wider scale. Taiwan will suspend arrivals of all foreigners without residence permits from Friday. That's after the island confirmed its first case of a new coronavirus variant discovered in Britain. Across the Taiwan Strait, Beijing went into lockdown yesterday for the first time since July after a string of COVID outbreaks in the city. But it's not as strict as last time. The mainland authorities are looking to control infections with localised lockdowns. The BBC's Claire MacDonald spoke to Deputy Bureau Chief Yoko Kubota in Beijing about the situation in the capital. For the last few months, generally in China, we've been getting quite used to seeing, you know, low figures of um, locally, so-called locally transmitted cases. Um, but these days we're seeing a little bit of a rise, and I guess um, that is getting authorities a bit more cautious. Um, in terms of the situation in Beijing, um, the state of things over the past two weeks, um, the capital has reported about 20 locally transmitted COVID cases, and that's already led authorities to test um, about 1.7 million of it's more than 20 million residents by yesterday. Um, so that's where things are standing right now. But as you've mentioned, uh, the, oh, go ahead. 
Oh, no, I was just going to say, I mean, that's incredibly fast and, and a testing programme to be proud of. But, but what I'm reading is these lockdowns or restrictions are incredibly localised. You've seen that for yourself, haven't you? Yeah, that's right. Um, so in the past, when we talked about lockdowns in China, uh, one can remember what happened in Wuhan. The lockdowns were very big, oftentimes citywide, and it was very strict. Uh, couldn't step out uh, for two weeks or longer. Um, now the situation is a bit more localized, as you've mentioned. Um, for instance, um, one uh, compound, residential compound that I went to in central Beijing uh, that had a resident who was who tested positive once this person went back to South Korea, um, the lockdown was very limited to one section of this apartment compound. And the other section of the apartments, as well as a connected office building, people were free to go about, uh, businesses were going on as usual. And I think one reason why they're taking this so-called appropriate stringency type of measure um, approach is because they want to keep measures voluntary and only minimally disrupt um, the residents and people in Beijing, as well as the economic activities. And that may surprise a lot of people listening to think that, you know, there were very, very strict measures brought in, in when the initial surge came. So are they now finding or attempting to find a balance between keeping society and the economy going and controlling the virus? I mean, what do people think in Beijing? Is that possible? Um yeah, you mentioned the balance, and I think that is definitely the case. You know, the Chinese economy was hard, hit really hard earlier this year. You know, it basically came to a halt in the first quarter, and the GDP dropped to around, I think, 6.8% uh, during that period. Um, that was the first time in four decades we saw such severe numbers. Okay, now it's bounced back, and China is likely to become the only major, you know, company, uh, sorry, country to grow this year um, in the world. But uh, that experience has left a scar um, on the people and the authorities. Um, it doesn't mean that people here are too relaxed. Um, you know, masks are back on when you look at the people walking on the streets. Um, at places like public uh, spots, malls or restaurants, we still have to register ourselves using apps to show that we were there at a certain given time. Um, you know, so we're, people are not that relaxed, but it's not that stringent as it was before to keep that balance going so that people can still live their lives here. Those stories were part of the Newswrap program, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. The government provides public COVID-19 testing services through different channels. Those without symptoms but feel they have a higher risk of exposure can visit designated public clinics or other distribution points to obtain free test kits. Those having compulsory tests can visit community testing centers for free testing. The centers also provide self-paid services to those needing test reports for personal use. If feeling ill, see a doctor promptly and don't go elsewhere. Radio 3 Weather. A look at the weather forecast for tonight and tomorrow. Fine but cold night with temperatures in exposed areas falling to around 5 or 6 degrees. Another sunny day tomorrow with relatively low humidity and highs of just 12 degrees. The winds we can expect will be fresh to strong northerly, occasionally gale force offshore and on high ground at first. The outlook, still cold on New Year's Day and Saturday with the weather being fine and very dry. Cloudier early next week, morning temperatures will remain low. Currently, the air quality health index here in Hong Kong is low to moderate. The readings are three and four. 
at the observatory. Air temperature now 11 degrees Celsius. Relative humidity stands at 44%. The fire danger warning is red. The fire risk is extreme and the cold weather warning and strong monsoon signals are in effect. Getting us started for the second half of the late show for this Wednesday, the 30th of December 2020. I'm Simon Wilson, sitting in for Uncle Ray, the world's most durable DJ, is sheltering in place during this current COVID spike. He'll be back as soon as it's safe. 